0: A lot. This could only happen because
1: the electrode ray is off. <sighs> only a madman can believe that she could ever be like before. But he's talking about the greatest brain ever made by man. I'm sure you've come to the same conclusion I have. Truth and uh, soul.
2: Right, uh, good day today on Truth and Soul. I'm talking, uh, the New Zealand Advertising Podcast, I'm talking to one of the leading advertising creatives in New Zealand over the last 20 years, so he told me, uh, Mike O'Sullivan. Now, I first met Mike at the School of Communication Arts in London in 1988, I think, might have been 1989. For some reason, we got on and worked together for five or six years in London, uh, struggling to make a name for ourselves in a tough market. Following a chance meeting with a Kiwi in Cancun, Mexico, in I think 1995, we were both offered a job at Wine in Auckland. Uh, in the end, owing to domestic issues, Mike came, I stayed at home, and unleashed from the handbrake of working with me, he went on to be ECD of Mojo when it still existed. Then um, Roger McDonnell hired him to go to Colenso to turn it into a creative powerhouse, and that's when Colenso started on its path to creative glory. He then had a lost year at Clemenger, Melbourne, Clemenger, BBDO, Melbourne, returned to Sarches, New Zealand, and together with uh, Andrew Stone, returned the agency to a certain extent to uh, some of its glory. Then the two of them left and had mixed fortunes setting up Joga 5 in New Zealand before Mike went out on his own and he's kind of um, working on the quiet, he set up the collective and now many minds where he is now. So a bit of background, I was one of Mike's best men on his marriage to uh, Ivanka, I mean Stacy on Kauai Island a couple hundred years ago. I am an absentee godfather to Mike's youngest son, Danny, who is an avid listener to the podcast. Hello, Danny. But I'm, I'm sure that relationship won't stop us from abusing each other. Uh, Mike also introduced me to fishing, although I overtook him in skill and passion many years ago. So, Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, First of all, so you are originally from Northern Ireland, and you you grew up in where?
0: I grew up in Derry or Londonderry, depending on your religion. Um, Yeah, and then I went to college in the UK, as you did back then. You didn't really go to college in Ireland. You kind of everybody pretty much left immigrated heading off to London or a UK college.
2: Why did you, or why and how did you start in advertising?
0: Uh, I went and did a foundation in art because I was quite good at drawing. And uh, my uncle at the time said, you should go and go to art college. And I did a foundation year there and I applied to do graphic design degrees in the UK. And I saw an ad in Creative review to do um, the SCA, the School of Communication Arts and uh, taught my parents into allowing me to rock up there.
2: So you were were good at drawing. I sat opposite you uh, in a room for six years, and I can't actually remember seeing any evidence of that. What happened?
0: (laughs) I think I was quite good at landscapes. (laughs) I wasn't very good Uh, at a lot of other stuff. (laughs) Um, No, I was kind of artistic. I was kind of artistic, but didn't really know, actually what I was doing, actually, to be honest with you, um, the SCA was, uh, from our college, the SCA was just an unbelievable leap um, from, from being artistic into functional, tangential, conceptual thinking. And uh, I think if that hadn't happened, I would have been floating around some design studio somewhere, being an average graphic designer.
2: So, when you the School of Communication Arts was run by a gentleman who sadly passed away now called uh, John Gillard, who's a very famous uh, creative teacher in uh, London of uh, design and advertising, uh, and it's what the Media Design School in in New Zealand is based on. So, Mike, when you first turned up at the School of Communication, of Communication Arts in Tarakanwell, wherever we were on that Monday, what what, what did you think? Of um, everyone else there, I thought it was a kind of, it was very international, and
0: I'd, I'd never, I I never and it was in London. I was kind of crap myself, and I didn't know what I was doing. And but I thought it was going to be like an art college, and in the first brief they came in, they said, as uh, as you may recall, was have developed the game of football in China, and I'm going, well, where do we where do we draw? And they're going, no, 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 you've got to do some research, you've got to do some problem solving, you've got to do strategy, and you might get to do some creative stuff in about six weeks' time. And I went, oh, my God, it was just a complete um, shock to the system. But then <clears throat> as you went through the college, you realized it wasn't a creative college. It was a problem-solving college. And I think that year was particularly formative going into advertising. I would never pick myself going into advertising um, mm-hmm. until I started there.
2: When I, I, I seem to remember when we went to the college, they, uh, we were told – that the chances of getting a job were uh, straight out of college in advertising as a creative were 80%. Do you think that was the case?
0: Um, Well, we got a job. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I I think a lot of us did okay um, at the time. And I do think that the college was unbelievably deeply connected to the industry. I mean, some of the people that we had as tutors, our own personal tutors, I mean, God, you'd Jeremy Clark, I mean, we used to go and see, you know, a Fink and Clark who were rock stars in, in, in Satches London back then. So we were immediately connected through the school and its network. I mean, Paul Arden is a tutor. You know, uh, Len Cheesman come in to talk about typography when he was at Gold Green's Trot. I mean, it was quite amazing. So I think we definitely had an upper hand versus a college in Manchester or, or Glasgow or what have you. I think John's network was unbelievable.
2: And uh, uh, what do you remember about the process of us of us teaming up as an art director copywriter?
0: Um, <laughs> Jesus, that's a fucking hard question. I don't know actually. To be honest with you, man, I would. I think I was. I was drifting. I was kind of drifted into it. Um, I did okay in a couple of projects. Then we all had to team up, and um you and i talked and we had beer and we said oh let's just give it a go and that's when i realized that i actually began to realize that graphic design was not for me i didn't have the discipline um and uh probably, arguably the talent to be really good at it whereas advertising sort of I like got drawn into advertising i think largely because other people suggested I should do it so um i think whenever you and i got together and it became a bit of a mission then um it was good. It was good. It was bloody hard work. I mean, shit, the hours we used to work, man, it was
2: quite full. Yeah, we, we, we worked hard. There's no doubt we worked harder at, um, at the school than we did in an agency when we got there.
0: Completely, completely. But, but then I think the, the work ethic uh, still continued when we got placement at y which was a godsend. You're
2: listening to Truth and Soul. So uh, uh, what do you remember of the process to, uh, for us to get a job at YR uh, in London?
0: Uh, as I recall, we were given the placement and we had group heads who looked after us and we rocked up and we were put into a tiny little office. It was like a toilet uh, with no windows and we were basically told, we were given briefs from um, head of traffic, which were things like write play, copy for Playtex retail ads for House of Fraser. And we did that for weeks on end. But what we said on every job that came in, we said, yes, we'd do it. And we'd do it till all hours. So every crappy little thing that was going through that monstrously big agency at the time, we would say, yes, we'll do it. Yes, we'll do it. And as I recall, Jack Vaughan, who was the then executive creative director, we didn't even know who we were. <laughs> sort of I think slowly extended our placement by I think we were getting paid we were getting paid very little, if anything, and then we got paid a bit and then we get paid a bit more. But we just we just hung in there and we always said yes. And we were always there after nine o'clock. And eventually I think they said, Oh, we'll give you a three month trial as I recall it, unless I'm mistaken.
2: So yeah, I think that's that's very important for uh, guys on placement. I think there's no doubt that, that out of... It was a, quite a large creative department. I'm guessing 18 teams?
0: Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, probably more than that it was huge. Absolutely huge. Um, there was
2: a, It was a, that's a... Yeah, when we joined, I think there were about 350 people in in the agency. It was one of the biggest agencies in London. And... I think it's fair to say we worked harder than it, than any of the other teams there. Uh, but then, do you remember, and it was actually, it was the traffic girls, I think, who got us the job. because Because yes, they kept, um, we did everything. We were so useful to them. And then it would be, we're supposed to leave at the end of the week. And I think that they would go in. Uh, to the uh, Jack Vaughn the credit director, and go. You've really got to keep these guys on because they're doing all these projects.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that would be about right. Because we were hungry, we were scared, and we were hungry, and we wanted to be there like you wouldn't believe. And um, we were nice people too, actually, <laughs> which helps. Um, well, I, was. I, think I, was. That, <laughs> I think that I think that that we we were useful. So uh, there's a lot of I think there's a lot of lessons. We learned from everybody, actually, um, in any job. um, I think that we played played really well
2: back then. Uh, Do you remember Jack Vaughan telling us to go home?
0: Yes, I do remember Jack. Jack walked back past our office one night, and it was after nine, and he said, what are you guys doing here? My bad Australian accent. And uh, he said, go home. You're always bloody here. And we went home. But uh, we always did stay until he left, as I do recall. Paul, <laughs> we find stuff to do. Um, I, I, was, I don't think it was too much of an issue staying longer than Jack. No, true. That's true. That's true. And there was a beer fridge, which was fantastic. So we were always we were always sorted. And you're were, you're were a big smoker in those days. I sure was. I was I? Always, I'm not even sure. Can I? Did I smoke in the office? I can't remember. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I did go up a tiny office. But it was home, you know. It was home and it was um it was it was a rock and roll time. It was a rock and roll agency, you know, some of the stuff we were doing. Um you know, it had a humongous bar, it had a gym. There was bottles of Perrier in the restaurant when you walked in all free. Um it was you know, it was pretty it was pretty glamorous. Um, certainly from a little kind of Crappy little college sort of existence of students we'd had for the, the year prior.
2: And, and do you remember some of the uh, some of the early projects in the first few years? Any of the good stuff that um, you, stroke, we got out? <laughs> I think um,
0: the because the agency was going through such horrendous. Uh, mostly downs with the occasional ups. We managed to see through quite a few, uh, what we used to call Black Fridays or Black Wednesdays, Black Tuesdays. It all depended. It was basically a day where they basically let people go. And it was terrible. It was terrible. Like, you know, and some people knew who who else was going to go uh, before they got a knock on the door. It was just, I mean, if you remember that, Paul, it was just, um, you know, the employment rules were somewhat questionable. Um, But I think we saved ourselves a couple of times by getting good work, (laughs) good work out. And um we did I think we did we did one project for uh Courage for Magnet, which um went on to get into D which was fantastic. And then we did another thing for Directors Better which did quite well on the award front as well, which is pretty good for you know, for us it took us a couple of years to get the work out, but it was quite good working in a brewery. And then we did Sugar Puffs at <laughs> the Honey Monster for years, which was good from a travel and a shooting point of view and um yeah but it was you know we 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 had a pretty good run did a lot of travel oh my God the amount of travel we did was pretty amazing
2: yeah i I think that the, uh, uh, the spending our first few years there and seeing so many um, people unfortunately getting made redundant around us were uh and some um shall I say politely some uh varied uh, abilities in a senior management team I think was a great learning process for us of how of the bad side of an agency and I think helped us in the future
0: i I, I, I definitely agree because uh, I think if you weren't on your a game so if there's any degree of complacency or lack of hunger and um you were really, you just, they just, you're just gone basically. So I think, uh, again, we, we were just always saying yes to stuff. We were always really focused. We always did our hours. And even though we were kind of moving into being from junior to middleweight, we were, um, you know, we were still the go-to guys for stuff. So, um, I think you're right. There's a lot of people who would get the tap on the, on the door and be gone. Who, who, um, <clears throat> who probably weren't as up to, Not up to it, they were up to it, but I think they were just a little bit complacent back then. There was so much change in the London industry, and particularly in that agency, that you just had to be on the rear game the whole time.
2: Yeah, I think we were coming out of the 80s, and we didn't work in the 80s, but everybody says that was the time to be in advertising. And I think uh, uh, people where we worked had had such a a wonderful time that they weren't used to the... the, uh, London was going through a recession at the time, um, and and people, I think that blindsided a lot of people and then they carried on as though it was still the 80s.
0: Yeah, it, I think it, it, at the time, it was a kind of a place of contrasts where people were losing their job one minute and then you'd work, I remember you and I worked on a job for a car brand over the weekend and we came in on Monday morning, and There was a bottle of vintage Dom Perignon on both of our desks and I'm thinking, oh, it's a bottle <laughs> It looks like a bottle per second. It was like a two hundred yeah. pound bottle of <laughs> two hundred yeah. pound bottle of champagne. Like you had that sort of people losing their jobs. Next minute, let's go to Canada for two days to look at a photograph in business class with yeah. limousines. It was just I think you're right, it was just the kind of ACs hangover uh, combined with the reality of people suddenly losing their jobs and, and income and and you know, drinking and depression and the whole thing. So it was it was pretty crazy, fun but crazy.
2: Yeah, there was uh, at one point I flew to New York for, I don't know, two or three days in order to present a campaign internally to Wynar um, New York. And I don't think I was actually employed by the agency at that time. I think I was still on placement. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was crazy. Pay a, uh, uh, a year, or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, the airfare alone was more than your salary. Oh, I, I remember uh, um, eating breakfast at the hotel. We got to eat breakfast, uh, and that was like seventy-five dollars. And that was kind of you know more than mm-hmm. like in a week. And they uh, and uh, the suits go, "Oh, don't worry, just sign it off." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> so, so tell the story of what we were doing in Canada.
0: Oh, I think, well, as I recall, we worked in Air Canada for years, so that was a piece of business that we were regularly on, and um, we were asked to go and do a campaign for um, the fall, which is the time, obviously, people go, well, uh, people go to Canada, see the leaves and uh, the forest and stuff like that, so it was a fall campaign. Anyway, we had to go and find a, the perfect shots in a stock library, so they said, well, why don't you guys go to Ottawa for a couple of days and sit in a stock library in Air Canada and find the best photograph of a lake and some beautiful autumnal leaves, Uh, which (laughs) which is what we did, basically. But, you know, chauffeur driven to the airport, you know, first class, first of business class, beautiful hotels, to spend a couple of days looking at some transparencies, and then we got back in the plane and came back. It was just surreal. Absolutely surreal. I
2: think it was about ten minutes looking at the transparencies. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> well, yeah,
0: that, but that well, was it normal. Was. It was just, it was just, it was just the way. It was just the way it was. You know, it was just the way it was.
2: That, and that, and that was when you you bought two suits and wore them both. Katra, <laughs> <laughs> the <camera>, my
0: friend, <laughs> 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 told me to. Katra uh, told me to buy. I said I need to buy a suit because I don't want a suit. And I thought, I'll buy those two for the price of one deal, going on the store in Ottawa, but they were, they were the wrong size. And I had to, Capper said, You've got to wear the suit back because you get paid for tax. If you wear it, you, you don't get payment for tax. So I'm OK, sure, I'll, I'll wear it. But of course, it didn't fit. So I spent, you know, eight hours of playing with the legs tucked into my socks, barely moving, and then very slowly walking through security uh, so I could wear the suit through. And then Cameron told me the cab. Uh, after going to the airport, that he was bullshitting and wasn't true.
2: <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Um, so, how how did you end up in New Zealand? Um, so you and I, so you Kakap
0: you and I were doing quite well, and we kept winning these international kind of award things. Uh, and I think one year we went to Texas to win the local, the international YNR award. And then the next year we went to Cancun, New Mexico. And as happens, you've got a global network with a hundred plus offices. Is the bar at the hotel. Who are the last three offices at the bar getting drunk? Is Australia, uh, New Zealand and the London office. And of course we bumped into somebody there. He said, would you ever come to New Zealand? I said, you must be fucking joking. Cameron said, absolutely. And then the period of, I don't know, it was six months or a year or nine months, which you changed your mind basically, and I changed my mind. You stayed, and I got in the plane and came down, never having been here. And uh, yeah, that's where the wild ride began.
2: <laughs> I, I think there was uh, a girl involved. Um, there was a girl involved.
0: You fell in love. Catra fell in love with a with a chick He used to work at Satchis in London. And uh, he basically. Didn't want to leave her, which is fair enough, which is fair enough. But I sort of I sort of committed to going. I told my mom, and uh, my then girlfriend was kind of I told her mom, and we then went, oh, yeah, let's just do it. So didn't really work it out until I actually got to the, the lounge, at, at, not the lounge show, the departure gate. Uh, he threw and went, oh my God, we're actually going to New Zealand. It was like, holy shit. Um, but you did stuff back then when you're young. I just went, oh, yeah, fuck it, just give it a go.
2: God, cause I seem to remember uh, like we had to go to a, like a bookshop because it's pre-internet days, a bookshop and, fire, uh, uh, and uh, try and have some idea of what New Zealand was like.
0: Oh, you you had the lowly planet guide. You were going yeah. <laughs> reading through yeah. it, but apparently there's a, there's a north and a south island. Oh, really? Oh, cool. And they're skiing. I go to Berlin, I've got lots in there to, to ski. Um, yeah, it was very yeah pre-internet. It was, we limited information, but I think I don't know. There's a kind of always a a, a a sense of promise about the place without knowing a lot about it. Actually, oddly enough, um, so what, it just felt like what, the right what? thing
1: to do. You're listening to Truth
2: and Soul, the
1: New Zealand Advertising Podcast.
2: What was New Zealand advertising like when you when you got down there? So this was about
0: 1995. So it was, it was 90s, late 94 when I arrived. Um right. and gone from. This big rock and roll office in London to, uh, Wiener, Auckland, which was, um, on Takapuna Beach. I kid you not. Three or four story building overlooking the beach. Rangitoto, sunshine, powder sand beaches. It was just like quite surreal. Uh, absolutely beautiful, and amazing. Um, YR back then was a solid business, but it wasn't doing great work. And, uh, the people doing great work were Sachi's New Zealand, predominantly Wellington. And this really cool random shop called Mojo. Um, other guys were doing some good work. Uh, not definitely not so I don't know about DDB back then, but it was it was. Uh, well, actually, Wellington was probably just really cranking up to be the world class agency that it ended up being. And then Mojo was just quite a different kettle of fish.
2: And and you went from One to Mojo. Yeah, I, I lasted
0: three months because I I kind of um, I knew. I I, um with the help of um John Darby, who is my writer at the time, he said, Oh look, um you probably shouldn't you shouldn't really stay here because you you know you kind of you're gonna miss some opportunities and uh and I was starting to get itchy feet and was questioning whether you can go back to the UK or not. And uh I was interviewed at Mojo and it was just mind blowing. It was it was just the most amazing, mad, chaotic <laughs> place um it was probably it was like what a i suppose a howl henry would have been back in london or a, a monkeys now or what have you it was you know in startup mode it was just this crazy um agency with lots of clients doing the most off-the-wall work it was uh, absolutely fantastic
2: who, who interviewed you
0: um graham wills who was the, the ceo and then they, they had this thing where the creatives can interview you so i had a couple of senior creative people interviewed me. And they went through uh, my book. Um, and back then, like the creative department was was people like uh, so Steve Susie, Steve Asen, uh Mikhail Gurman, who is partners with Karen Walker. So Karen and Mikhail were coming and going. Um, Luke Nola, who went on to make amazing television. Uh, there was just... People at Santa like just the most amazing, um, talented, uh, bunch of amazing talented bunch of people. It's just extraordinary. And they all did lots of other stuff. They did TV shows and printed magazines and wrote books. And, uh, they were just, yeah, quite, quite an amazing group of people. I, I, I've got to say, I was so, I felt so insecure and inadequate creatively, uh, surrounded by this mad bunch of people who just were, Just off the wall, just, just, um, and doing amazing work in all sorts of creative, different, creatively different ways.
2: So, so how did this, uh, socially and culturally inadequate Irishman end up as creative director of that eclectic mix?
0: Well, it, it, um, Mojo by default was chaotic. So it, um, it had, at one time we had Darren Spiller, Andy Lish, Sean Cummins, Lockett McPherson, uh, myself, all creative directors, all in the same office space, um, working trans Tasman, and uh, plus all these other people who came and went. Uh, so it was just, it was just um, on. quite. I can't remember the expression that Woolsey had, but it was, it was kind of organized chaos. And as a result of that, it kept going through um, sequences of success and failure. Uh, <laughs> anyway, one day, um, well, I kind of looked around and went, "Oh my god, all of these guys have moved on." And uh, as happened, somebody said, oh, look, uh, Sean's, Sean Cummins has gone and set up his own shop and Lockie's gone over there and was, do you want to be the creative director? And, um, and there was Rich Maddox and I and Murray Watt and a whole bunch of really cool people. And I went, oh, yeah, sure. Um, I was 29. I didn't know what I was doing. and Sandy Bergen was the managing partner. So Sandy and I um, started running the agency together with about I think it was about 50 people I think maybe 45 and it's heyday it was probably about 80 or 90 in Auckland it was it was really busy um,
2: uh, so you, ha- you had some good years there you got you got a um, you got a, a sense of what you needed to do to con- to succeed creatively in the New Zealand market and then Roger McDonnell called yeah so um, we were kind of
0: um, young and um, uh, just having a really good... We were just having a laugh, actually, to be honest with you. I mean, some great pieces of business. When we were working on DB with all these different beer brands, Twisties and Burger Rings and Apple, we launched Bank Direct. So it was a kind of young, cool, funky sort of place um, and a lot of talent. Anyway... We were started winning awards. That's what happened because Mojo wasn't really it wasn't it wasn't awards focused. It, it didn't have that kind of the UK discipline of of idea and execution. It had it just did stuff. It made stuff that was cool. You know, I, I picked up some packaging in a store. I went, oh my God, who did this and it, it, it was it was a couple of creative guys from mojo. It was just fucking fantastic. It, it would have won a DNAD gold had they entered awards. they just didn't do the award thing so what what happened I think at Mojo is that as time went on, we went, oh, we started entering awards something that that Mojo hadn't really done before. They just made cool stuff and um the first thing I think Rich Murray and I worked on, we won a couple of uh, one show golds for Apple. Um, computers because we launched the Rocketbook back then which was cool and that sort of was the beginning of us kind of um, getting noted and we started we won some stuff at Axis and then my phone rang one day and it was Roger McDonnell who was the chief executive of uh, of C well he's actually basically ran back then Clemenger, Wellington and Colenso and he said would you like to <laughs> would you like to be the CD at Colenso and my first answer was no not a shit show. It's um, Cleanser back then was a place that um, it had lots of very big clients, but the work wasn't very good. And people were sort of it was sort of seen to be a place that people went just to, to earn lots of money. Um, and because we thought we were so cool, we again, I'm not interested in money, we're just interested in doing cool work. Blah, blah, blah. So I went to see Raj and he interviewed me on his boat, <laughs> strategically very smart because he knew I like fishing and um. It was a huge launch in West Haven. And uh he took he showed me the boat. And down in the front, main cabin was, I would think, at least 40000 dollars worth of fishing tackle, some of the most expensive fishing tackle I've ever seen. And um he talked about how he was into fishing
2: and pretty much that was it. <laughs> Where do I sign? It, it's uh for for those of you outside New Zealand, it's kind of interesting that. Uh, fi- uh, um, whereas some um, countries' industries may run on uh, uh, drugs, the the there's almost a mafia in New Zealand advertising of uh, fishermen.
0: Yeah, true, very
2: true. Um, th- throughout the industry, throughout the film industry and the production industry, there's uh, the the thing that ties people together often seems to be fishing which is a little bit bizarre but fun you said uh what what did roger say he wanted from you what did he want you to do um
0: he said he was really clear because roger in his own right um was a creative director you know really good creative director and wrote you know the crunchy ad and, and stuff like that and had an amazing creative history he said look i just yeah now bear in mind don't Colenso was a very successful agency it wasn't um it wasn't uh, in trouble or anything. It was actually, and it was huge too. It was the biggest agency in Auckland by, by some stretch actually. Uh, what he said, he says, I just want to do really cool work. I want to, I want to do what you guys are doing at Mojo basically. And, um, and he, and he said, it's a risk because you're very young. And, uh, mean, I was 30, I think 31, but I kind of, I don't know. kind of naively confident. Like, oh, I go, just, I just said, oh, yeah, sure. Um, and he said, I just want to, I want to do great work and be famous for, um, you know, just be famous for doing good work. I mean, he it, it was a completely, a, to- a total creative vision. It wasn't about dollars. It wasn't about scale. It wasn't about um, business or he said, I just want us to do great work. So he hired Rich and I and um, and then Rich and I hired a bunch of other people and we sort of got stuck into it really.
2: So, how, so, so you're quite young, th- uh, 31. How did you, how did you go around man managing people who were older and more experienced than you, also probably more talented, but you'd be, you'd been put in charge of them. How did you, how did you cope with that?
0: Uh, I think, um, Raj was really good because he, he was a, very much a partner, as was Neil, but probably Roger particularly because he had a, re- a good relationship with a lot of the creatives. But to be honest with you, he, he sort of gave me carte blanche to bring in people that would would, would want to be on the, on the journey. Um, some people just didn't want to be on the journey and they, they, t- they, t- their, their, they just wanted to go and they left and that was uh, fine. Uh, a lot of people, um, I was able to recruit some really good people like you know Jen Story, for example, um, was head of TV at Mojo, and she was kind of the first person I really wanted to get her to come over because she was, she was Jen could make anything happen. I mean, that's the thing about Mojo. We could make anything happen because we, we didn't care how much money we had, we just could make stuff. Um, so people like, um, her, um, we got on board. And once, once we started, and I hired quite a few junior people, um, who just brought a different point of view, um, and a, and a hunger and a passion and a disruption. Um, element to to the department. Uh, Rich was fantastic. He was fucking fantastic. Toby Talbot was fantastic. Uh, Toby was was there. What with, Toby Talbot? Oh you know, yes, yeah, Toby was. <laughs> I was sort of Toby was. Toby was there and and doing good work. He was doing. Uh, you know, him and a few people were doing good work there already, or trying to. Uh, and I think what happened was that we we kind of. Um, we ser- we just it was just this kind of emerging disruptive bunch of troublemakers. And that in turn got uh that in turn got suits to become troublemakers. Uh and suddenly, you know, we were, we were going back and and work would be so that that clients, you know, the clients wanted to be troublemakers. <laughs> uh and yeah. suddenly we just you know, I think um I remember going to Axis and we picked up Rich and I picked up some awards for Mojo, but we're sitting with the Clenso guys and you know Clanso had a very average night. And then I think a year later, I think we had won thirty-eight access awards, of which about five were gold. Um and they were for AA, for Casio, um Oh god, what else? There's about I can't remember. Anyway, there's a whole but we basically it just literally happened so quickly. And it happened, it was like a kind of um a revolution. Everybody everybody was in, everybody wanted to do good work. Um and then what happened was uh Rog sat me down and he said, right, you need to, we need to start, you know, um, you know, focusing on the business. And I saw I like, this kind of creative run was fantastic, but he said he said, you need to start learning more about the business side of it and the scale of the clients and the scale of the work and understand how strategy works and stuff like that. So I mean, he always kept me on point. Always, I was always learning. Often getting smacked. Get back in your box. Do this. Do that. Um, so although the creative thing was fantastic, um, I was always kind of continually going, "Oh shit, I fucked that one up." <laughs> um, and you know, look back and um, reflect on you know think on things like um, uh, knowing when you're wrong. Uh, and so, for ex- I always use an example actually, which was Colin James Danmore, and Darren Wong when they presented a campaign to me. And it was a, it, I looked at it and I laughed instantly. And I said, no, this, it's not right. And I, I kind of looked at the campaign like it was, I don't know, probably an old school way of looking at it going, oh, where's the idea? Blah, blah, blah. When it was just funny. And Colin and Darren came in the next day and they said, look, uh, we really think this is kind of good. And I looked at it again. And I went, fuck, I'm wrong. And they're right. And, um, They did it, and the client bought it. And I don't know, but two years later, I was judging Clear or something in the states, and there it is, picking up awards. And that—that—that's maybe because I am not right; I'm—I'm wrong a lot of the time, and that's why I think one of the things about having that group revolution happening was that a lot of people were there who just were really good, really good spirit, really hungry, and they were right and way more talented than I ever was. So I just kind of rode along with it and enjoyed it when I could.
2: I, I quite understand the the possibility of you being wrong. I'm just surprised. <laughs> I didn't at the time. <laughs> uh, what's more surprising is Conan and James being right. Um, <laughs> uh, you live and learn. So you were there f- at, at Colenso for a, a number of years. You had uh, fantastic success. The the agency, as I've, I've mentioned in other podcasts, that was when Colenso started being... The powerhouse that it is now, and that is it, carried carried on being for about the subsequent uh, 15, 15 years or so since then. Um, but you um, headed off to Clemington, Melbourne. Yes, yeah, so t- <laughs> like many of us, uh, uh, you
0: get to a level uh, at ECD or Chief Creative Officer. You kind of you the, the um, you just have an itch and you need to go and do something else. And uh, I mean, yourself included, Paul, Maddox, uh, Josh Moore, the whole lot of us get to the point where with a network's call and you go to Australia. So I took that, I took that call and, um, it was a mistake basically. Uh, For a whole number of a whole bunch of reasons, actually, and I think that uh, you know, I was it was uh, I look back now and go, "Oh, I did that wrong, and should have done this, and changed that, and da 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 da." But I still, even if things had if if I'd been enjoying the job, I still would have. I was still desperately missing New Zealand. You know, we tried to we said we said, "Oh shit, let's we can replicate our lifestyle that we have here in in Melbourne." And we had we're earning good money and nice houses, and we're living near the water and blah blah blah. But for the life of us, we just couldn't go and hire a batch and go fishing or do any of the stuff that we take for granted here purely because of the scale of Melbourne. You know, Auckland is a, is a big town. Melbourne is a big city. And suddenly a lot of the stuff that we kind of took for granted just wasn't there. And I just desperately craved. I just wanted to go out in my boat and I wanted I to, want go and, to go and go and, you know, sit on a beach without having a thousand people there and, you know, be able to walk on a pier without having a million people all trying to catch squid, <laughs> you know, down in Lorne and what have you. So I think when, when Rocky called, um, uh, which was so not cool at the time from being a clementary guy for so long, uh, I just said, yeah, I said I was keen. Although the, the job itself is going to be really hard. Um, I, I, I both my wife and I. So let's
2: just go home. Justin, just just going back to Cleminger, I mean, uh, my my story of my experience doing a similar kind of thing in Australia or save for another podcast. But what what, what was it that was not making you happy at uh, Clems? Uh,
0: I think that uh, I probably uh, didn't have a strong chief exec partnership um with you know with the partner that um the chap who's running it he was a great great really good guy but we all eyes were uh um followed leadership from the group and i think that if i had probably somebody um if he, he and i had been better paired i think we probably would have um would have had a better better run at it if have it had been Raj and i um it would have been a completely different story. But that's just the way it is, you know? And um, I think that's one of those things that um, on reflection, I probably, and, 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 and Roger did warn me, uh, on reflection, I probably should have taken that into account instead of just going, I just need a change. And that's that's what happens. I think a lot of creative people just go, I just need a change. And uh, that that's, that's was not the right reason to go there.
2: And, and as well, it's interesting that 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 encapsulation in, in a paragraph of... Of um, why you you didn't enjoy your time in um, Australia is is pretty bloody similar to mine, to be honest. Um, In in terms of uh, of uh, CEO relationships, I think the other thing is that there's there aren't many agencies in New Zealand to go to. If you're a reasonably well looked after ECD of one of them, there's only like two or three other ones that you could go to.
1: Mm, true.
2: And, and if, there are, if, there are, if there aren't any jobs going, there, there is nowhere to go. So that, that does kind of uh, maybe force you. So so you were, you were in uh, uh, Clemens Melbourne, not, not particularly enjoying it, and you got a call to m- maybe come back to New Zealand.
0: Yes, yeah, so Rocky called, me, and I didn't really know Rocky. And he said, would you be interested in um, coming and running Sachi's New Zealand? And uh, which was kind of weird because Sachi's were had always been in a friendly way the enemy. <laughs> they were at Mojo, they were at Glenzo, they were we were always you know up against each other and vying to be top of the pop. So it was kind of like Ooh, interesting, okay. But um, he uh, we met, and we talked a couple of times, and he came over to Australia, and he took me through what his plans were and how he was tracking. And, um, it was, um, it was the best option. Like you said, it was not a choice. I looked at, I was asked, was a couple of gigs overseas and UK and stuff, which came up again, as you do, cause that's the journey you go through if you're a ECD and, uh, now New Zealand was calling. So, um, I signed up and started in 2004, I think it was 2004. Yeah.
2: And how was that experience?
0: Uh it was um I got, again learned so much. Uh sachis um a lot of people will have different views and Sachi's. who'll be listening to this actually, but if you've got a few years under the belt, it's was uh absolutely fucking amazing agency, just unbelievably good. Uh there's nobody could touch it. It wasn't even you know, it was us the us little guys at Mojo were we're just like little little annoying things, um, these guys were world-class. You know, they were picking up, um, you know, they're getting silvers and sub nominations at d and and they were just at a, a different level. And they were multi-humongous size, like you know, multiple clients, uh, government, um, FMCG. It was just humongous. Uh, what happened, however, is that uh, as, as uh, agencies, particularly big ones that are really successful, have a moment in time where... Magic happens, and uh, that magic period happened, and then um, then one or two key people left. Probably, I don't know what year it was. Probably in early, really early two thousand, maybe late nineties. And slowly, I think what actually happened was that the 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 foundations of this this amazing entity were slowly crumbling, and that's sort of where uh, Rocky and I sort of came in because uh, when we came in and had a look. Under the, the bonnet, uh, it wasn't a it wasn't a hundred percent, and we had to have a lot of very very honest conversations. Or should I should like clients had very very honest conversations with us about uh, where we where we were at and what they wanted from from Sachi. So it was quite um, it was quite <laughs> there was quite a uh, quite a few tough conversations that happened. They were quite scary um, in my first three or four months. And uh, yeah. had to listen we to a lot of um, anger, and from clients, um, uh, a lot of a lot of reasons for that. It was there's no one particular reason. I think it was because the office was spread across Wellington and Auckland. Uh, it was huge in Wellington and not so big in Auckland. It was been a lot of the creative was coming out of Wellington because that's it's almost its like spiritual home. Uh, clients were moving all the big clients like Westpac and Telecom, which was Spark. Uh, that was, they were moving to Auckland. And um, yeah, when I went in, basically the first six months uh, was a bit of a it was a, a bit of a shitstorm actually. Uh, and I always remember the first my first week back, talking to somebody quite well known in the business, Paul, who you will know quite well, you know very well too. And I was saying, oh, blah blah blah, and I was talking about a certain client, and he said, don't talk to me about that client. And that person was the, the run was running one big agency in town. And I went, oh my god, they're talking to. One of our really big clients. He said, "Don't talk to me with that client. Don't talk to that client." I went, "Oh my god!" Um, so yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty tough. It was really tough. First, first six months to first six months was um, was uh, was not what I thought it was going to be. The perception and the reality were quite different.
2: Initially, yeah, uh, there was a, a, a restructuring of Sarches, some very painful re-engineering, but then things. Started to come right. What was it that do you think that that led to that turnaround? Um,
0: I, I believe that success, and not just in advertising, but in, in corporate and any business, is where magic happens. And magic happens with the right people in the right place with the right attitude, all at the right time. I think it's happened happens with, uh, uh, in agencies, particularly where success is really clear uh, when they're doing really really well. And what happened was that after a period of time, people start believing in their own success, uh, when things have moved on. And I think that sense of hunger that we talked about earlier, having hunger, having passion, always being acutely be aware of what your clients are thinking, always being, always doubting yourself, always learning, as uh, that with some, with, with, I think with, with because it was so good. It was so amazing that, um, Nobody questioned it. You know, I mean, this was an agency that fired a group of clients um, because they just didn't like the work they were doing for them. Uh, that's, that's the belief set that they had. That's how powerful they were. And I think that whenever uh, Rocky and I got in there, um, unfortunately, a lot of the great leaders had moved on. But the belief was still there that they were really good, and they were really good, but the clients were just were just disconnecting away. They were struggling to deal with uh, some attitudes that they just going, you know, things have moved on. They weren't used to being, you know, <laughs> you couldn't tell a client what they're going to do. You had to listen to what the client wanted. It was that it was this transition. So when Rocky and I got in, we shut up and we listened, and um, and it was really obvious. We had to relocate most of the um, business into Auckland, and uh, we had to tell everybody in Wellington. Uh, Sorry, guys. All the key business, but particularly Westpac and, and Telecom, which are a critical pieces of the business that such as back then, um, we need to relocate people up. And and basically, um, a lot of the guys done in Wellington said, "Well, we don't want to move," um, and uh, we pe- ended up parting company. Um, then, well, once we'd gotten through that sort of period, which is very painful um, for everybody concerned, there was a little bit of a, a glimmer. On the horizon, because we had a, kind of a level playing field with a lot of our clients. I think the clients said, "Okay, we're going to give you guys a chance," um, yeah. because we'd had some of those honest conversations, and that's sort of where it sort of turned around. Um, I think that's where we started. Um, we started to the kind of the green shoots came up, and it felt like we could we could do we could do good stuff together. And, and that's when it, that's when confidence sort of there was a degree of confidence that came back. Uh, and, and we had a lot of new people joined as well, which has makes that difference. That whole business of having a team of believers and you know people who are going, yeah, we can do this. And 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 Sachis was a fantastic brand as well. i knew it, like, it was the one place you could get into a taxi and go take me to Sachi's and the cab knew exactly where the place was. Um, uh, so we had a lot of people who were new, they were hungry, they were passionate, and it sort of slowly got back got back on its feet. It could it could never get to the point it was because it was just. That, that that's just like heights that could never be achieved. I think by any agency ever again, actually. But um, we certainly started doing doing better anyway.
2: And, and you had a pretty um, incredible credit department then. People have gone on to to great things.
0: Yes, <laughs> I did. I did until they all got bloody hired. Um, yeah, no. I think one of the things about New Zealand um, is, and I think that uh, I always remember this with Colenso, uh particularly is that we. When you have, when you create the environment, and and that's all that Rich and I and and, and Toby did, we created an environment where people could do good work, make good work, and and a passion and belief. You you immediately attract people. So um, I always remember Leo Permutico, who I'm still in touch with, who's run <laughs> running this agency, which is like. It's the equivalent of flag Five in New York. It's just unbelievable. Uh, but he he got on a plane and he came to New Zealand with his portfolio. And he says, I really, really want to work at Colenso. I really desperately want to work at Colenso. When he was 21, he just gave him a football scholarship. He says, I want to work at Colenso. And he came and showed me his book and I told him to change a couple of things. And he went out and changed them literally the next day. And he just, he just desperately wanted. And, and what happens is a whole bunch of people were knocking on a door because of the belief. The same thing happened at Saatchi's. We attracted people that we attracted people because they wanted to do good work. We attracted a lot of people from Australia, lots of people from Australia, um, lots of people from the States, people from the UK, because of the work. And it, it wasn't money. I mean, yeah, sure we paid we paid well, but, but there was there was a real um, I can do great work and I can do really well for my career if I do this. You know, and a lot of a lot of them did not like New Zealand as well. Um yeah. be fair to say. Uh, they found it a bit um, uh, behind. But, you know, in one fell swoop, these guys who came, they worked with us as uh, satches. And then in a matter of, I'd hate to think, it was not a lot of fun for me personally, but uh, half of them went off to become chief creative officers in agencies around town. And the other lot get hired by Drogo 5 in New York, White and Kennedy in Amsterdam, 180 Amsterdam, uh, DDB Sydney, like literally, <laughs> it was a fantastic department, but... I can only I can only have them for a certain period of time because they all went off and did brilliantly like, very very soon so, afterwards.
2: So, so some of the some of these people actually talked about them in um, I think we're bit with uh, Toby podcast with um, Tony Talbot. Um, Matty and Dave. Yeah, uh, they, uh, um, Dave Bowman and Matty. No, is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Your yeah. yeah, money, Dave. Yeah, yep. uh, and um, t- uh, Americans. Oh, Jay. Jay and Andy. Jay and Andy, Jay and
0: Andy. Yeah. Well, Jay went off to be ECD at Saatchi's New York and Andy was ECD at Leo's in Australasia, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. So a lot of them did really well, actually.
2: Okay. So you had, you had a, uh, um, a great run at Saatchi's. You, you won, um, lots of awards, lots of agency of the year awards. Uh, and restored it, if you know, if not to absolute pump that that it was in in say the late nineties, but it, it was in a pretty good shape. So you and Rocky left. Yeah, yeah, as
0: you do. I think like mm-hmm. like Claudio thing, the project was over, and um, I I just mentally was disengaging, and, and unfortunately, people who work for me remind me of that. They said, "Oh, we could tell that you would." Boost, you sort of drifted on. Um, yeah, I didn't know what. To be honest, I just didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just didn't know what, what, what to do. And going, uh I looked at. I was. I had a couple of job offers. Which
2: somewhat so was it? Was it absolutely a sense of well, I've kind of done that. I need to. I need to have another challenge.
0: Yeah. So yeah, it, it was, but it's not. That makes sense. It's like uh, I kind of I've knocked that one off. It wasn't like that. It was like kind of you know once you've done, you know you've done the juries. You 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 know every year because because I, I was in the worldwide board. Um, you know we had we had to deliver um, really good work. Uh, I mean uh, sorry, Satchi's one of the hardest things about Sachi's uh, is that it had the highest the hardest KPIs. You had to do well at the ethics. You have to do work that people love. You know so we you know you have got to do a fair go favorite ad. You know, I think in year two, I think we'd four of the five finalists at Fairgo Best Ad were 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 was us. Uh, we had to win, you know, Lions. Um We had to win new business. We had to retain big clients we've had for years. So you continually had all of those kind of plates you had to spin. So that is quite um, that's quite tiring um, as a job, and and obviously retain talent, attract talent. Um, et cetera, et cetera, Um, so I think after, I can't remember how many years I was there, actually, but, um, five, five. uh, six, maybe, but, um, by the end, by, by, the, by the time that, um, I was heading, I was, I was getting distracted. I, I just didn't have the energy to keep doing it. And, um, I don't know. And I literally couldn't scratch, actually. And, uh, I know now probably what I should have done, but back then, um, I, I knew I didn't want to stay where I was, but I didn't know where I was going to go to.
2: I think, I, I, I think for me, uh, tell me if I am wrong, but maybe it's that kind of feeling. I, I won't say uh, Everest, but say you've just climbed Mount Cook, you go brilliant. Just climb Mount Cook. Uh What do we do now? And they go, right. Well, you got to do that again next year. And you are like, well, yeah. It, it, it just it, it becomes the, the um it becomes a
0: chore, maybe. Yeah. I think yeah, so there's a there's a circuit which everybody, those guys who are running big agencies will know well, you know you you do the awards and you're doing the FAs and you're doing this and you have to and you can't you got, so there yeah there is you're right um, but I, I also think um, I think as a creative person um, that you you can you can only. Do the routine for a certain period of time because you just—it's just a creative thing. You have to go and do something else, uh, and I think that's what was wrong. I mean, I, I wish I'd known exactly what I was going to do. Um, I just—I just didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew I didn't want to keep doing what I was doing, and that's why yeah. I basically um, resigned. And I just wanted to—to to get out. And then Lily was was kind of adrift. Actually, it was a, it was a bit of a—it uh, wasn't a bad time, but it wasn't a great time either. It was kind of very
2: strange. Uh, and so you guys. Um, uh, went off and started up the New Zealand Droga 5 yeah so we were going to do another network um, and
0: uh, we I knew Droga, I've been known Droga for years through just doing juries and stuff and then I knew Nobby really well because Nobby set up Sydney and Nobby and I had run um, Saatchi's he ran Saatchi's Australia and I was running so- New Zealand and we had a
2: Sorry for our, for our less um, uh, advertising educated listeners. Nobby's real name is
0: David. David Noby.
2: David Nobby, Yep.
0: Yeah. So basically, uh, Nobby and I had a fucking awesome for a trans Tasman relationship. We had it totally nailed. Um, it doesn't happen very often where you're running. We often had joint pieces of business, and but Nobby and I, we we had a great relationship. Um, we would we both. Love good work. Uh, we had good good people working for us and we were quite like-minded. We both sat on the global board at Saatchi's and we were just, you know, we had a lot of fun together. Um, he, uh, in fact, they came they came to Auckland for lunch, uh, for joint lunch with us, um, Saatchi, the entire Saatchi office. Um, I can not what year it was, but we all had lunch out by the airport and then they got on the plane and went home. So we, we had a very close... Close relationship. Anyway, Nobby was, was doing Drogo 5 in Sydney. Um, I said, oh, would David be interested? And we just, it kind of happened, basically. It, it, it happened through discussions. We talked to David in New York. Um, he was he was keen, and we had the credibility from a work point of view. So we set up and I can't remember what year it was, Jesus. Um, yeah, we got offices down in uh, West Haven, and there was three of us. Yep. And um, we started trying, trying to find some business. Um, I personally was completely shell shocked. I did not know what it had hit me. I just was going, oh my God, my whole world has turned upside down. And I don't know, <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. But, um, you know, I was the one who'd sort of pushed it. And uh, we, were, we were on the journey of a startup.
2: So yeah, so ju- so that thing of sitting there in an office the who's the third person? James Paul
0: Hill. Who's uh, James Paul. So, yeah.
2: so three you're sitting there. You don't actually have any business, <laughs> no and sense. you 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 go in the morning and go, um, what shall we do today? And you think that's okay. It's going to be quite a lazy day. And then you think, well, we're not. We're actually we have outgoings. We have no income. Um, how long can we keep doing this?
0: Yes. Yes. And yes, (laughs) it was like, I mean, enormous fucking office too. as huge fucking palatial office, which we signed a lease for. And, and we, you know, we, we were funding this. It wasn't, um, we weren't, uh, it wasn't, um, we were, we, we, we put the money in to get it going. Um, and, uh, so there was, it was, (laughs) it was fucking mad actually. Um, but you know, we we won a bank. Basically, we 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 pitched for ASB, and we went from zero for three people to twenty five people in a matter of weeks. And we were, um, it was all go. It was all go. Um, uh, probably, we had other bits of business as well. But I think um, it was suddenly we were doing everything, and uh, we were busy. And
2: uh, and that went on. For uh, three or four years. Yeah, uh, I can't remember actually. My parents came really. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think it's about yeah, oh, it's about two old.
0: yeah, two or three. I think. Um, in hindsight, probably what well, what well, because it was a, it was a great piece of business. Really good client actually. Clients were awesome. Uh, we had a lot of fun with those guys actually. Um, but it became, it was, uh, being a uh, a bank, it was all consuming for a small organization. so we, you know, we were getting, we we're doing other work for other clients, but the, I was, we were not um, getting the growth in other categories that we probably needed to, and um, and we were so busy doing our day job that um, it just got, it just, it was, it was quite, um, it was difficult actually. And why, uh,
2: uh, sorry, Mike, why? Because uh, I think this is really interesting. Lots of, it seems to me more so. There's a lot of people creatives particularly go, oh, I should go and start my own agency and um, and it's it's not easy. Uh, why do you think that, because uh, you and Rocky had a pretty good reputation around town, you had offices, you had a big client, you're doing work. Why do you think that it was difficult to um, attract new business? Um, well,
0: there's a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, I think people... Particularly creatives um, need to trans, transform from being creative guys in an agency doing great work and wake up every morning thinking I'm going to do a brilliant creative to running a business. It's two, it's two different worlds and I hadn't transformed into that world. I was still kind of looking back at that world in this huge office going, oh, this is new. Um, so I have to make money to survive and I need to do this and do that. It was this, It's quite a weird transition. Um, I think that, uh, and that's very hard for a lot of creative people, and nobody tells you. Uh, I, I'm telling people now, which is going to do quite a bit of mentoring work. I'm telling people but particularly over 40, this is what you should be doing. But um, So that, that was a big thing for me. I think that the other, uh, I think Droga 5 was the wrong model to set up in New Zealand. Droga 5 is a unique, amazing creative hot shop uh, in a, that works in really well in big markets like the States and in Europe because they can work on you know multi million dollar projects and uh, and do great work um, uh, and and employ good people and make good and and, and have, uh, have good revenue uh, in the New Zealand market where you kind of need to be a jack of all you can't just be uh, you can't just be the pointy end of pretty amazing creative you've got to you know do ads for cabbages. Um, Drogo 5 was not the right model. And uh, we probably, uh, and also the industry was shifting hugely at the time uh, in terms of um, digital, traditional media, TV consumption, all the stuff that we talk about endlessly. So yep. it was, it was a, it was a really uh, interesting kind of all these things were all going on at the same time. And, uh, and it was the dust, the dust didn't settle for quite some time. Uh, it was only post Drogo 5 that, that for me it became really clear. What needed to happen, but when you're in betwixt that sort of world of the creative, you know, rock and roll part of the business, you know, uh, versus um, you know, t- doing whatever it needs to get to make a buck, um, it was it, it's, it was a really interesting time actually, and uh, it really good, really really educational. I learned uh, so much from it, and it was also a very successful business. Rocky uh, ran it really well. And uh, and we did good work and da-da-da-da. But it was, uh, for me personally, it was a big transition. And I think any creative person who's thinking, oh, I'll just do a startup, you need to um, seriously ask yourself why and what it is that you're going to go to market with and what's going to be unique. And you also need to keep revisiting it. Um, in this day and age, it's not just enough to go out and do a startup and do, we're going to do great work. It's something that you probably need to revisit every six months to a year so you're continually relevant and you, you're providing something that clients will always
2: want. Well, I, yeah, I think it's what tech startups call pivoting, although it, I think maybe in, in the ad world, it's it's more slight pivoting. In the States, they talk a lot about independent agencies being going for niche markets, going for the farming market or the health market or in uh, Droga 5's instance, going to take the what in America are small projects in New Zealand would be giant projects off the big people where they go we're going to have a little punt and we'll just spend you know 20 million dollars having a little punt on this project we're going to get the the best creative brains in to do it whereas in New Zealand I I think you're right and it's really difficult to do that because the market just isn't big enough and you end up having to do um, everything
0: That's right and if you can't then they'll find somebody who can, and um, yeah. that is not the world that uh, we or I, I, I grew up in. You know, where this world of creative and data and best ideas and blah blah blah. And then suddenly you go when you wake up and realize that you go, oh my god, it's just it's an epiphany, and you you sort of move on to right. This is what I need to do. This is what I need to do to repurpose. This is what I need to to um, you know to succeed. Uh, and and that was you know when that moment happened it was it was fantastic actually and quite quite a quite a relief actually
2: so you've um after uh Droga, you kind of set up your own places and went uh, deliberately went for a lower profile um a less uh, much less awards junkie focus
0: uh yes <laughs> uh what happened was um so uh rocky um wanted to move out and do something else and he he um so he went off to uh work with Sam motor at spark and i had a very you know I had a good conversation with david to say look uh i don't you know D- drug five doesn't really work for here for here and uh i think it needs a different model these a different brand um so we're you know we we agreed that we'd still had Bits of business that we'd had that we'd worked through Drupal Five, so we we said like I'm just going to rebrand it, and David was fine with that. And um, we just bas- uh, basically um, I went out to market. I spoke to all of the clients, even clients who'd fired us, <laughs> to say why, um, what what do you want? What do you think the new world of marketing and creativity looks like? And it was considerably different from what I thought it was and um, The Collective was my attempt to answer that Um, and Many Minds is a very similar model to The Collective, nothing's really changed in terms of the model but um, it was born out of research into market and finding out specifically what the needs were and uh, and now I think it's pretty unique um, but it's a whole combination of factors uh, it's definitely the awards that world as I say you you go from the creative world into the business world I look back and those have been fantastic days but they are they're gone now and um, now I'm in a different world and I'm enjoying it probably as much actually <laughs> um, which is which is kind of cool. Um,
2: so, what are what are the the uh, in a nutshell, what are the, the kind of different principles that many minds use as opposed to the traditional agency model? Um, we uh,
0: well, first of all, we got we're, we don't uh, we don't have many clients on retainers because the first thing the client says is we don't want to go on retainers. We want to be project, um, and then if you do a good project. You probably get another good project. You will get another good project, which is the way our our, our, our business works. Um, we know a lot of people because we've been in the business for a long time, so we've got this amazing network of all clients who who end up we end up working with, uh, which is terrific, which has helped a lot. Um, we're we're pride ourselves on being good and fast, and we're good. When,
2: when you say we, when you say we, is that you and Stacey? We and
0: no, I think it's it's really interesting when you people say oh, you have a contractor's business, don't you? And suddenly make you sound like you kind of just have these freelancers who who, um, who come into the office and sit there and do creative and walk out. But the, the way the business has changed so exponentially now that freelance, there are more freelancers now than there's ever been. And we all we have got lots of different people, freelance editors, designers, packaging guys, media strategists, da, 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 da. There is, you know, one of the things that people said to me, oh, you won't have a culture if you do that. We've got a culture. We've just got a culture of people who like all working together. We just don't sit in the same office together. Um, that's 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 the difference. That, and that that again, I didn't know that, but I'm sure other companies who do the same thing feel it. And now, particularly during this new world that we're living in, uh, we're going to see that happen more and more and more. Um, so I guess what I say is the culture, this contractor culture, uh, is of old is gone. It's actually it's not even the word conscious in the right words. people who. Love working on lots of different projects, and are quite happy to come into the office or work from home or do a Zoom call or what have you to make good work. Um, and I think that's that's happening not just in our business, but across every business. And post COVID, it's going to be the norm. Um, it's, it's a great we. It's a great thing to have culture. Um, culture, what I talked about with Calenzo, where you've got believers, even at Sachi's, and, and now we've got people who are the same. Still the same thing. We just aren't playing cricket down the corridor and down the agency bar on a Friday night.
2: And in the process
0: of fishing, a
2: tiny fraction is left over. Fishing's great. Let's get some fish. Um, okay. Well, uh, thanks for that, Mike. Good luck with that project. And I'm now going, uh, I think we've done very well in that we are here in the middle of a lockdown. And that was the first mention of, um, CoVID 19 and all of that and the effects that it that, that it will maybe go on to to um, have on our business um, now i'm going to ask you I've, I've got some questions from our listener, um, several of our listeners <laughs> and, I, and, and i'm going to ask them and I will not be judging the quality of the questions but i'll ask them anyway um, Ben Simmons gooding who was uh, – um, I don't know what he's doing now. I think he he was in Amsterdam at some stage. I think he's back in the UK. He worked with us at YNR London, um, who's a kind of uh, sort of Boris Johnson figure, I think it would be <laughs> fair to say. Oh, hang on. Boris is in hospital. Best wishes, Boris. Um Ben says, Mike, when you were learning your trade at Wine or London, did you really immerse yourself in the products of your clients? Question mark Including Foster's Beer, KFC, Sugar Puffs, Hagen Dars, and Walker's Crisps. You always seem to like getting to grips with the product.
0: Yes, the answer is correct. As Paul, you will, you will support that as we did many a familiarity uh, trip. I do think we didn't we do J&B, JB whiskey in Scotland. We did that, that uh, was that was a that good <laughs> one. <laughs> the director's brewery, the Magnet Brewery in Middlesbrough, Sugar Puffs in Slough. I think it was wasn't it? I mean, yes. So the answer is yes, yes. yes we did uh, a lot
2: and Cronenberg. Cronenberg
0: in Strasbourg, and probably my favorite was a week in Montreal and Toronto, understanding how Air Canada operated as an airline.
2: Oh, I never got on that one. Um, no, you didn't no, actually. That, uh, that was that oh. was me and Blakey. Ha <laughs> I, I, I think there's an element of um, of fat shaming in Mr. Simmons Gooding's <laughs> question, and it, it, um, I'll point out to you, Ben, if you listen to this in London, that Mike is uh, now reborn, has given up smoking. He gave up smoking before me, I think, um, and is now a, a running individual and goes out running all the time, which is quite extraordinary because he struggled in those days to get it from one end of Camden High Street to the other. Anyway, uh, next question, Conan James, never heard of him. Um, when he's on a video call, does he still wear shorts?
0: Yes, I do. Uh, most clients are pretty cool with wearing shorts. I still love wearing shorts. Um, I probably does not formally dressed when, when yeah, meeting in this situation.
2: Uh, I suspect we're both um, in shorts, T-shirts and lockdown jandals. Uh, Ken Buist says, Uh, This is a serious question, which is not really what we need, but there you go. Um, How can we break the curse of short-termism? What does that mean? What he means, well, the answer to that is that we can't because it's capitalism. Uh, That that he means at uh, clients trying to build their brand uh, or or, uh, um, incrementally increase the sales of their brand in the next quarter. In the next three months, rather than looking at the long term health of the brand?
0: Yes. Okay. So, I yes, I don't think we can stop it. I think um, I talk uh, to clients about the speed of business. I think the speed of business has wrapped up to such a speed in terms of getting stuff, changing stuff, reacting to stuff in market, change it, get it back into market again, that, uh, particularly driven by digital, that will never go back. Um, and unfortunately, it's driven in some instances for the right reasons and some not but I think uh, there's no It's it's just going to be the norm Depending, anything all things are going
2: to speed up yeah uh, Janelle rawback never heard of her Janelle says uh, how has your Irishness helped your success in New Zealand so I, I say I just changed that limited success in New Zealand
0: right? <laughs> Thanks, yeah I think uh, somebody said to me uh, actually some a few people said to me I oh, when you you always you can make a radio script sound funny I can't do it justice can you read the radio script or read the TV script I think my I, I, the Irish accent helps when telling a story um, uh, that I think that you can you can sort of get away with murder and you can you can f and blind and people will forgive me for it and it's usually quite entertaining um, so it has helped but uh, I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the sole reason um, why uh, why I've got a, got a couple of clients or were a couple of clients in the past yeah.
2: No. Uh, Dave West, is that Westy?
0: No, Westy's Paul. Another West.
2: Paul, right, okay. (laughs) Dave West, not Westy, says, um, can we fight our way back to advertising, to the advertising credibility days of the past, or is the current situation, brackets, COVID-19, as good as it's going to get?
0: Um, Okay, so I think, personally, uh, I think the word advertising is a, a, one of the things that creative people should do. Um, so I work with business consultancies. I do mentoring. You know, we do packaging, which a design company do, but we wouldn't do the packaging yourself, We just get somebody who's really good at packaging design to do it. Creativity is always going to be needed. And I think that our industry creative people and creative thinking and creative strategy and strategic thinking is always going to be wanted and it always will be paid for. Uh, I just don't think we can specialize uh, and just say, oh, I, I just do advertise. I think that will always be wanted at the table, at the board table or the leadership team's table, uh, provided we bring that sort of creative thinking to the pro- to problem solving. I think that will always be um, always there, but we need to be seen to be relevant. I think that's half the problem is that, you know, Oh, we'll bring our ad agency in. Unfortunately, we just don't have the credibility that we used to. And it's up to us to repackage ourselves to lots of different, you know, not just marketing, um, just to, to, to business generally, uh, to show that oh, we have this, we do, we can help problem solve. We can think of solutions, uh, outside of, you know, a radio script or a billboard or campaign, you know.
2: Yeah, I think that the for the last I don't know ten years, the industry or a lot of people in the industry have realised that the current model is broken. But no one would, uh, yeah, we've gone, yeah, it's broken. But what does a new model look like? And you know, n- nobody really knew. You have, uh, your your thought with many minds, but it was, uh, yes, we're all we're ready to change the new model, but nobody knew what it is. I suspect that when we return out of COVID nineteen, we will we don't know what the model is, but we it will emerge pretty soon because things are going to be very different on the other side.
0: Yeah, I think um, I think people senior clients who want senior people in the room. I still think experienced people in the room, uh, people with war stories. Uh, I think creativity is still super super important, my God, it's just so absolutely critical and and it can change it can change the world so that's if if we all head towards that way, then I think there'll always be a place um because the because with the way the way that we think creatively is just different we're just random uh, whether it's a strat- a planner or you know a media planner or whatever it, we just we just think about things differently and and I know that I've been at meetings where I've had a perspective and they've gone, holy shit, where did that come from? And they've listened and they've gone, oh yeah, that's, that's different, you know? Um, so I think that's, that's sort of where our sweet spot will be. Um, the days of, you know, I think there's, there's thinking and there's making the days of the making and production and all that stuff has been commoditized and those days are long gone, but the thinking bit, uh, multi in multi dis- disciplines, multi category is still really important. I think we've got a rule in business going forward.
2: Yeah, I think that it, it's where the creativity comes from. I think it, in the old days, uh, it was um, advertising agencies think up long-term campaigns for brands. And they kind of had a, a monopoly on that way of working. And now it comes from outside advertising agencies. It, it, it comes from all over. Um, and it, it just depends how good the individuals are who are coming up with those thoughts, rather than where they happen to work.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's totally right. Uh, um, the it, it's a specialists, a bunch of specialists. Uh, a selected bunch of that, depending on what the job is, is it seems to be the way it's going from what I can see. Um, and that's not to say an agency can't have it because they do. They invariably have lots of really good talent and lots of different. Um, talents, uh, in their ranks, but out, out there now, there are so many people, um, and people in even the kind of in the thirties, mid thirties who have done a little bit of agency, but have also super bright, um, super specialists, super intelligent, a client's going to have, I'll have that person in the room. I don't need to have 10. I'll have, just have that one person. Thanks. Um, that, that I think is the way it's going to be. Um, and I don't, I just can't see it. I think what, agencies will always exist. There's always going to be a need for large scale networks, that's not going to change, but there's this kind of area in the middle where uh, clients won't want the big agency, so they might only want one person from the big agency to be there. they want, they want the right people, uh,
2: which is a mix of people. Yeah. It's always difficult to judge who the right person is. Uh, anyway, uh, it's a question from Hugh McLeod. Hugh McLeod is an uh, American stroke Scottish gentleman that uh, Mike and I were at college with at the School of <laughs> C- Communication Arts, 30 years? 30 years ago. And he forged a career for himself as, um, he has an alter ego gaping void, forged a career for himself as a kind of internet cartoonist. And I'm still in touch with um, Hugh via the magic of the internet. And he says... What do you think the difference was back then between, and he's talking about 30 years ago, between working for a big Yank firm versus working for a London-based firm? I'm talking before they all merged into big holding companies. I pointed out to Hugh that almost all agencies for a long time were big holding companies that we worked out. And he said, oh, yeah, but you guys were on placement at Ligus Delaney for a couple of weeks back in 1989. (laughs) (laughs) God, he remembered that, didn't he? Jeez. Yeah. Um, we
0: didn't, I mean I, it didn't work for you. I didn't deal with I suppose it did actually I suppose it, I don't know how to answer that. It's, isn't it a cultural thing? Isn't it a cultural thing between English the English and the Americans and Ghana's part of the world?
2: Well it's now it's a it's a financial thing. And I think that independent agencies have it really tough now in the middle of the um, coronavirus lockdown because the a- agencies that are run by the big holding companies have resources to fall back on and whilst there may be redundancies and page cut, pay cuts and so on they have uh, stability and some funds in the bank um, to see them through this crisis whereas if you're a small agency and as as you know Mike between us we've We've um, started or been in a few of them. It's pretty tough when you have when you have no income. You have no agency.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think a I think a small to medium and uh, non uh, holding company will will be struggling, really struggling a lot. Actually, I think I, I feel for them. Actually, it's uh, not not a good place to be.
2: But guys, if you can hold it together when we come out of this, if you can kind of um, Uh, shrink down and be ready to emerge like a a butterfly on the other side yeah it's tough for now but it might work then Jonathan Horner um, asks what's the smallest fish you've ever caught? We're going to be here all night Jonathan um,
0: (laughs) I think it was probably in your boat it was probably a very small snapper yeah
2: uh, my my fault of course Um, uh, and finally, Lee Shaw from Lancashire uh, of Production Partners asks. Um, he says, "I think Mike should do a later podcast and be the person who interviews you." Well, I don't know that. <laughs> I don't know that Mike will be the guy because he knows too much. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great idea, Cameron. I think that's genius.
1: <laughs> he, he he haven't,
2: so,
0: you haven't won so, it you yourself yet, have you? <laughs>
2: Um, no, that's' are saving that one for the Christmas special edition. That's if we make Christmas. <laughs> uh, let's see how we go. Anyway, Mike, um, that, that's been great. Thank you so much for uh, coming on and, and talking uh, about some of the good old days and some of the, the not-so-good old days. Uh, good luck going forward, and uh, hopefully um, I'll be able to catch up with you and the family before too many months have gone by. Yes, indeed. We'll see you soon, mate Brilliant. Cheers. Okay. Talk to you later. Thanks, Mike. Bye. That's the end of the podcast for this week. Hopefully, we'll be able to get together another one soon. Thank you very much for Mike O'Sullivan for um, having a chat. Thank you to um, Shane, Jonathan, Cole, Vanessa and the guys at Franklin Road. They didn't provide us with coffee because we did this remotely for the first time. I had to make my own coffee, which was a bit of a hardship. Uh, But um, thank you to them and thank you to the listeners because we're still, I think, the number one uh, podcast featuring me in the whole of new zealand which is a start and um we have some uh we're still going hopefully we have some good people coming up that's all from me bye for now thank you on the farewell
1: drive we found a hundred ways that i have hand- Centrifugal force Pulls us apart As we spin Please forgive my trembling hands Crudely silhouetted by The flickering spires of candlelight While the wicked sleep sound The anxious toss and turn Thoughts come not as single spies But in battalions While the wicked sleep sound The anxious toss and turn family tree is losing its leaves Please forgive my trembling hands Crudely silhouetted by the flickering spires of candlelight While the wicked sleep sound The anxious toss and turn Thoughts come not a single spice But in battalions While the wicked sleep sound us